All right, good morning once again. Welcome to Hope and Anchor Church. Man, I've been excited about uh, continuing in our teaching series uh, called Rock of Ages. Uh, we've been walking with the Apostle Peter, basically looking at his life, his experiences with Jesus, uh, the encounters that he had uh, with Jesus, uh, because we find when we look uh, more closely at Peter's life and experiences, uh, we find that there's quite a bit of texture. There's a lot of contours to who Peter was and uh, his relationship with Jesus, uh, yet we can step back from all that and realize, hey, despite of all that, maybe uh, because of all that, you know, because we believe Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he called Peter to follow him, right? Ups, downs, successes, failures, step back and realize that Jesus chose him on purpose, had a had a will, had a plan for his life, and that plan came to fruition. None of those things that Peter did, the denials, the, the, the fears, the lashing out, <laughs> or the, or the, 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 the grandiose statements of faith that proved to be not so grandiose in application, all that. Jesus is like, you're still the rock that I'm going to build the church on, Peter. He stuck with Peter. And what's cool for that, us is to realize that just as Jesus chose Peter, stuck with Peter, and was able to use Peter, He can do the same with us. He knows us. He called us to Himself, and He will bring to completion the good work that He has begun in each and every one of us. So that's really great. Uh, today, this is week like seven, uh, six? Yeah, week six in our Rock of Ages series. And today's message is called... In event of success. In event of success. In the year 1907, an ad showed up in the London Times. And this ad has become famous over the years for several reasons. But 1907, London Times. The ad read, Men wanted for hazardous journey. Low wages. Bitter cold. Long hours of complete darkness. Safe return, doubtful. Honor and recognition in event of success. Men wanted for a hazardous journey, low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return, doubtful, but <laughs> honor and recognition in event of success. This advertisement uh, for Ernest Shackleton's 1907 to 1909 uh, Nimrod Antarctic Expedition. It is famous. It's famous. Uh, but it may be more myth than fact. While, while this ad is now seen by many on the internet, and you'll find it referenced in many books, no one seems to be able to actually find the issue of the London Times from 1907 uh, in which this ad was actually published. No one can go back and actually find that issue of the newspaper when Shackleton placed this ad. Thus, some think it is a later concoction or fabrication and that the ad was, was never actually placed in a newspaper uh, by Shackleton at all. However, there are many who do think it's authentic. Why? Because it fits events historically. We know that the Nimrod Antarctic Expedition happened. And it also, um, an ad like this would likely have to have been placed uh, in order to rec recruit crew. This is how uh, 
it happened. This is how people gathered crew, got the word out that, they, hey, there's this new expedition forming. We need crew for the ship. This is how they got the word out in newspapers like the London Times. So either way, Shackleton's ad, it offered something. It offered a chance to explore Antarctica. To explore Antarctica under extreme conditions with the added benefits of likely failure, of probably no return, and maybe death. Those were the things that it put forward, like, hey, come and explore Antarctica and probably not come home. How do you think this was received? How would you respond? <laughs> As legend goes, in response to this ad, over 5,000 men replied. 5,000! Why? Why would 5,000 men respond? Uh, whether this actual advertisement ever ran or not, and whether 5,000 actual people ever responded, we do know that people around the globe have taken this supposed advertisement and revived it over and over again ever since. Indeed, here today, why am I doing it? Why am I trotting it out once again before you? Over 200 years later, to rally your aspirations, to gain your attention, even though the actual source in this ad's existence is suspect. Why? Is it because, uh, why would 5,000 people respond? Is it because it's odd that anyone would want to suffer? in order to gain reward? Does that strike you as odd? That people would be willing to suffer, to risk, in order to gain reward? Is that why 5,000 would respond? Is it, is it strange that a sane person would endure hazards and low pay, bitter cold, darkness, likely death, simply for the prospect of honor and recognition? Is that enough? I know when I read that list, my wife would check out at bitter cold. She's like, likely death, okay, darkness, that's fine. But the bitter cold, I'm out. I'm out. Anyone else? Anyone else like, eh, not for me. <laughs> I'll take the death, no return, and long dark, but eh, not the cold. Um, for many, reading Shackleton's advertisement kindles a sense of adventure inside of them kindles a sense of adventure within them. It stirs a desire to attempt great things, to endure, and in the end, overcome. You see, it was that, that part at the very end, honor and recognition in event of success. 5,000 men were willing to risk it all because it might just work. It might just work. And yeah, even if we die, we'll be legends. <laughs> But it might just work. Honor and recognition in event of success. Anyone who has suffered in pursuit of a goal, who has had to persevere to realize a dream, will understand why 5,000 men submitted their names. In fact, I think suffering and peril heightens the experience. Suffering and peril, it heightens the experience. It actually makes our accomplishments and our opportunities more meaningful. Would you agree with that? When you have to suffer for something. I mean, I, well, I don't know if I want to talk about pregnancy that way. Uh, but like delivering a baby is really hard. It's like the, one of the hardest things a human being can do. I mean, most, I mean many of you have delivered, well, at least some of the, anyway, delivered a baby. And it's like, I imagine... I've been in the room for this a few times. 
that there's a moment where it's like, I don't think I can do this. Uh, I might not make it. I mean, you kind of reach this point, I think, of just like, I don't think I can go on, you know? And then yet the baby comes, and you're like, oh, that was the most beautiful, wonderful thing that's ever happened to me. And it's like, what? Would delivering a baby mean as much, be so memorable if it was just like a sneeze, and then there's a baby? You know, it's like, achoo, oh, baby's here. I don't know, maybe it would. I mean, maybe it wouldn't. I don't know. But anyway, we suffer in that suffering, that peril, it heightens the experience and actually makes our accomplishments more meaningful in the end. If we had a chance to visit with the disciples, the big D disciples, um, in the years following Jesus' resurrection and ascension, I think they would all agree. Risk heightens reward. Risk heightens reward. Suffering deepens commitment. And difficulty fosters growth. I think if you sat down with each of the disciples and said, hey, tell me something you've gleaned in these years with Jesus and the, and the months since his resurrection and ascension, what would you tell me? I think they would talk about this. Hey, risk, it heightens rewards, suffering, deepens commitment, and difficulty fosters growth. Indeed, the leaders of the fledgling church, they quickly became accustomed to hardship. They quickly became accustomed to persecution, both from outside the fellowship and also from inside the fellowship. At times it was coming from all angles and all quarters. The book of Acts describes these difficulties in details. Everything from heresies, harassment from Judaizers, imprisonment, and even death at the hands of the authorities. But what we see happening is that the timid, temperamental, and dull disciples, they grew from being Jesus's students to stepping into their place as the church's leaders in some of the most fast-changing and tumultuous times imaginable. In relatively short order, we see those who fled from Jesus's arrest becoming themselves arrested and punished for preaching in Jesus' name. Have you ever thought that remarkable? I mean, just a few pages before, they're running for their lives, one of them even naked. It's like one of the Gospels talks about like a young disciple, they tried to grab him and he like wiggled out of his robe and like ran off naked. That's how scared they were. Yet here, just pages later, we find that they themselves are willing to be arrested. They, too, are willing to be punished. Why? Preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. What happened? Specifically, Simon Peter, who was so mercurial, as we talked about last week, has so given to outbursts and to boasting, here we find him to be steady. We find him to be determined, having become the bold leader of not just the apostles, but the bold leader of the church. Jesus had made it clear, following him would be hard. Jesus didn't make this a secret. He didn't like obscure this fact. He even told us plainly, it's a narrow path. Few find it. It's difficult. It's difficult to follow me. It's costly to follow after me. Jesus made it clear Following him would be hard. The path of being his disciple would be costly, difficult, and yes, potentially deadly. But each of the apostles, 
Each of the apostles still signed on knowing this full well. I guarantee if we know this, they knew it. They heard it from his lips. That was impressed on their heart far more deeply than it's been impressed even on our hearts. They knew the cost. Jesus laid it out before them. They still signed on knowing full well what they were getting themselves into. Take up your cross. Put your hand to the plow and don't look back. Leave your mother, your father, your sister, your brother. Be hated by the world. Yes, lose your life so that you might find it in me. Over and over again, in so many different ways, Jesus says to us, hey, it will cost you everything to follow me. So don't make that commitment lightly. Don't, make, don't take that decision lightly. There's great cost here, yet there's great reward. Something about Jesus' invitation to follow after him, it resonated with his followers, like Shackleton's advertisement to explore Antarctica resonated with those 5,000 men. It was heard in that same tense. Everyone who chose to follow Jesus eventually understood, oh, this is risky. This is risky, but it's worth it. Every single one of those 5,000 men who put their little response in the mailbox, they understood, yeah, this is risky, but I think it just might be worth it. So the way Jesus called people to follow after him, it resonated with his followers a lot like Shackleton's advertisement to explore Antarctica. Jesus calls us to trust him and to obey, and that calling somehow struck a note in those who were willing to abandon it all in order to become his disciple. And in doing so, guess what? They found a life of far deeper meaning. Everyone who followed after Jesus, they discovered a life of far deeper meaning, a purpose of, surpass, of surpassing worth, receiving God's strength, His vision, joy, and life everlasting because they followed after Him and they stuck to it. So, a case study in Peter's life, it reveals a transformation. It reveals not just a spiritual transformation, it reveals a transformation of both character and ability. We see this in Peter's life taking shape here when uh, following after Jesus, but then after Jesus' resurrection and his ascension back to the Father, we see this work is continuing. So we see a transformation of character and ability. Just last week, just last week, we saw Peter boasting, boasting, I will never betray you, Jesus. I will go with you to the death. And Jesus is like, oh, really? You'll die for me, huh? Actually, you're going to betray me three times even before the rooster crows in the morning. He's like, what? Sure enough. So he's boasting uh, that he would never betray Jesus, but then he goes on to deny Jesus three times in the face of questioning. At least one of those times is questioning from a little girl. Have you ever thought that's kind of weird? I mean, what's he got to be afraid of? A little girl comes like, hey, you're one of Jesus' friends. And he's like, no, I never heard of the guy. What's going on here? And following the resurrection of Christ, we see Peter broken in his shame, meeting Jesus on the lake shore. And we can just remember that, right? We feel it just like, oh, this is so awkward. This is so, so broken. 
How's this going to play out? He meets Jesus on the lakeshore. But Jesus comes to Peter, and what does he do? Does he rub his nose in it? Does he remind him like, yeah, I told you so. Told you so, Peter. No, Jesus comes to Peter. He addresses his wounded spirit. He lifts his head and does something remarkable. He reinstates him, not just as a disciple, but he reinstates him as the leader of the church. Talk about a rags to riches or a rags to riches to rags back to even greater riches. I mean, what's Jesus doing? What does Jesus see? What does he know and understand about what's going on? Well, he calls Peter into that reality. And we see him reinstated, restored, and established as the leader. So now, today, what we're doing is we're going to fast forward to the beginning of the book of Acts. The beginning of the book of Acts. And here we find, uh, we find a new and emboldened Peter. We find Peter new and emboldened. He has, uh, he's confident. He's decisive. And he's wise. He has a new uh, depth of character and conviction. And I think you'll see what I mean. Let's look at two scenes from the book of Acts. Let's look at Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. These two passages, these two uh, narratives, uh, I think they capture this transformation quite well. They highlight this change. So let's for, look first at Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. Now this is... Uh, following the ascension of Jesus, and you remember what happened to Judas, right? Yeah, kind of gory, and it talks about that, so a little bit PG-13, so hang on to your hats. But anyway, they want to replace Judas, and so they've got, they're faced with a pretty big decision. How do we replace one of the disciples Jesus picked? But there still needs to be 12 of us, so who do we choose? How do we choose? And so this is kind of the story of that interaction. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. Peter, <laughs> top of the list again, right? We talked about this. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all met. What would it be like to be named Judas after that whole fiasco with Judas Iscariot? That's why Jude, the book of Jude, we talked about this. His name was probably Judas, changed it to Jude. Like, oh no, I'd go by Jude. <laughs> I would too. Anyway, uh, they, uh, they all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. During this time, when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. Brothers, he said, the scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit, speaking through King David. Judas was one of us and shared in the ministry with us. Judas had bought a field with the money he received for his treachery. Falling headfirst there, his body split open, spilling out all his intestines. Ew. The news of his death spread to all the people of Jerusalem, and they gave the place the Aramaic name Akeldama, which means field of blood. Peter continued, This was written in the book of Psalms where it says, Let his home become desolate with no one living in it. It also says, Let someone else take his position. 
So, now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus, from the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us. Whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they all prayed, O oh Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in the ministry, for he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other eleven. So the other passage let's look at this morning is Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 14. Now, this is after the Holy Spirit has come in power. You know the story of the flames over their head, the tongues of fire. All of a sudden, all the people in the room, in the upper room, uh, generally from uh, pretty much the local area, largely uneducated, speaking one language, all of a sudden, what are they doing? They're speaking all these languages. And all these people in Jerusalem from different tribes and nations and tongues are hearing their language being spoken from this group of relatively uh, local, uneducated people. And it's remarkable. And so Paul has to or Peter has to clarify some things. He has to clarify certain things about what's going on and what it means. So let's look at Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 14. Um, well, look at verse 13. But the others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, They're just drunk. That's all. There's always those people. Some are like, Oh, that's amazing. They're speaking our language. And others are always going to be like, Ah, bunch of drunks. <laughs> I do it too. But anyway, he has to step out in verse 14. Then Peter stepped forward from the eleven other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. <laughs> Such wisdom there. That's a universal truth. Nine o'clock in the morning is far too early to be drunk. So you might have an issue if you're drunk at nine in the morning, I guess. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. In those days I will pour my, out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew that would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. King David said this about him, I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad, and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope, 
For you will not leave my soul among the dead, or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life, and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us just as you see and hear today. For David himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So, let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? What should we do? And Peter replied, Each of you must do this. Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, Save yourself Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. About 3,000 in all. 3,000 in all. I mean, we've had good days here at Open Anchor. But never that good of a day. Never had 3,000 come to faith in Jesus in one day because of one message that was given, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Wow. They go from standing outside ridiculing like a bunch of day drinkers up there. It's nine in the morning, they're all drunk. They go from being scoffing, mocking, to being desperate to know what must we do? What can we do? We want this. We want to be saved. We want to be set free. We want to be rescued from, from this. Being separated from the God who can do all this. And 3,000 of them come to faith in Jesus that day. Why? Because Peter cut them to the heart. What's it say there? It says, uh, Peter's words pierced their heart. What does that mean? What does it mean for Peter's words in this passage to have pierced their heart? What do you think that means? How do you interpret that? It touched them, okay. Hmm? It convicted them. It got through their filters got through all of their evasion techniques, all of a sudden it's hitting them right in the chest, right in the heart. And they're like, oh, this is for me. This is true. This is real. I want this. I want this. Their hearts were pierced. And it's Peter. Okay? That's what I want you to kind of keep a, keep a tab on. It's Peter saying this. Does this sound like the Peter we've known in the past few weeks? 
No! What has happened? Peter, good on you, man. You are knocking it out of the park all of a sudden. As you listen to Peter in this passage, what do you notice? What has changed? He's got boldness, he's got authority. What else? I know someone here is wanting to say a grasp of the Old Testament. Bringing the, the resurrection of Christ and His Lordship and the Old Testament together in this synthesis, this powerful synthesis. I know, powerful synthesis. That's what you were looking for. Yeah, what's going on? We recognize a change in Peter. We recognize a change in his demeanor. We recognize a change in his theology and his clarity of thought. Maybe he was capable of this before, but we have not seen it. Suddenly, here it is, and it's powerful. It's clear. Following Jesus Christ, and then subsequently the inner work of the Holy Spirit, had really transformed Peter. Now, we find him to be this capable, this courageous leader who is able to lead and to make decisions to, to deftly interpret and explain the Old Testament in light of Jesus Christ and His resurrection. Do you ever read these passages in Acts and you're like, like Stephen, if you ever read the story about the deacon uh, Stephen before he's stoned to death, he gives this like beautiful flyover from, from creation to the cross. I mean, it's like, wow, this guy's amazing. And all the people around him are like, oh, this is amazing. And then they stone him to death. Crazy, huh? But how did these guys do it? If it wasn't for what Jesus had instilled in them and what the Holy Spirit had enabled in them. The, the Peter of Acts is far more mature and far more vibrant than the Peter of the Gospels. I mean, that's my opinion, I guess, but you look at it and you tell me what you think. The Peter of Acts is far more mature and far more vibrant than the Peter we encountered and got to know in the Gospels. So what happened? What happened in Peter? Well, I think there's two things at least that happened for Peter. Two things, experience and empowerment. Experience and empowerment. Peter had experienced much with Jesus. Because of Jesus, Peter had experienced a lot of things, and as a result of that, he had grown dramatically. Think about it, the, arc of his sto the story arc of his life, right? From being an anonymous fisherman on the shores of Galilee to being, in relatively short order, the foremost disciple of Jesus, and then the first leader of the church, of the early church. Peter's life had been a whirlwind. Peter's life had been a whirlwind of learning, of growth, and of challenge. So Peter had experienced much, and that had grown him in a matter of years, from who he was into who he was becoming in Christ, and because of the Holy Spirit. Also, Peter was empowered. He was not just experienced, but he was actually supernaturally empowered. Peter had been empowered by Jesus Christ, but then the Holy Spirit had been poured out on him to step into his new role. I once heard it said, uh, if you see a turtle on a fence post, you know he had some help. Have you ever heard that before? If you see a turtle on a fence post, you know he had some help. Why? 
They're terrible climbers. A turtle cannot climb a fence post. So if you come across a turtle sitting on top of a fence post, you can make some fairly safe assumptions. This turtle had some help. Remember when I first saw this, it was actually a line drawing of a turtle on a fence post. So I printed it off and put it on the wall above my computer. Because in ministry, you should probably remember this. <laughs> if you see a turtle on a fence post, you know he had some help. You know, any success, any... Uh, uh, um, uh, success or, or wins in ministry, you've got to remember, hey, none of this is my doing. I'm a turtle on a fence post. I, I needed to remember that. But anyway, if you see a turtle on a fence post, you know he had some help. In, uh, without Jesus calling him and without the Holy Spirit refining him over and over again, we would have never known who Peter was. Think about it. If Jesus would have walked past him, never called him, Holy Spirit would have never worked in his life, we would likely never know who Peter was. Peter would have lived and he would have died in Capernaum. End of story. But get this. God took a nobody and made him a somebody who is now known by everybody. You see what I did there? That's a total pastor thing to do, right? God took a nobody and made, and made him a somebody who is now known by everybody. He, a nobody who became somebody who has now impacted the lives of everybody. Think about it. He has impacted your life and my life. Peter was called and equipped by Jesus Christ to fulfill the role God had for him to be an apostle and to lead the Jerusalem church. Empowered by God's Holy Spirit, Peter was animated. Peter was enlivened and he was positioned to play a part that was far beyond his lineage, far, far beyond his geography, and far beyond his education. I mean, think about it. He wasn't of the priestly orders. He was a fisherman. Uh, he had not been chosen to be a Talmudim, so uh, he, he didn't have the education. And he was from a real backwater place, not a center of power. This is why people ridiculed them like, these guys are from Galilee. I mean, really? No, nobody comes from Galilee. This guy? So he had none of those things going for him. Lineage, geography, or education. But by the Holy Spirit's power, Peter was able to lead the disciples who became the apostles in making difficult decisions and sending shockwaves across the entire Roman Empire. Making difficult decisions and sending shockwaves across the empire. Uh, what kind of difficult decisions uh, might they have had to make? Well, if you read on through Acts, you find they had to make this decision about replacing Judas, which was difficult. But then how about that a whole pronouncing judgment on Ananias and Sapphira for lying to the Lord? I mean, as a leader, I never want to be in that position. Like, uh, you skimped on the offering. <laughs> you know, strike him dead. I mean, that's terrible. That's terrible. That's a hard story. But that kind of difficult decision-making required a, a, a leader of character and of, of, of conviction. Uh, what kind of shockwaves were they sending out across the empire? Well, you read through Acts that they're going around and they're healing crippled people. They're healing uh, uh, crippled beggars. They're testifying boldly before rulers and authorities, and their teaching is piercing the heart. They're preaching the gospel, and it's piercing the heart of those who hear them. There is a sense. Now, as we think of Peter, we can start to make the mistake of putting him on a pedestal and thinking like, wow, God really did something amazing with Peter. Wow, Peter is really something. But get this, there's a sense in which Peter's calling is unique. 
And Peter's calling is specific. We are not all called uh, the rock <laughs> upon which Jesus is building his church. Jesus said some unique things to Peter, right? Upon this rock, I will build my church. He's not said that to me. He's not said that to you. However, there is a sense in which Peter's call is not unique or unusual. Well, what do you mean? Well, let me tell you. All who follow after Jesus are responding to a challenging call, just like Peter. All who follow after Jesus are responding to a challenging call. They are heeding the invitation to a hazardous journey with low wages, bitter cold, and long hours of complete darkness. At times, following Jesus, it will seem that we are at risk and that our safe return is doubtful. But we can be assured, just as God grew Peter, and just as God ultimately rewarded him, we too will gain honor and recognition from our Savior. He is faithful to reward what we have done. Honor and recognition. When we hear our Savior say to us, Well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And the NIV says, Enter into my Master's happiness. What will it be like for Jesus to say that to you? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in to my master's happiness. Or in the New Living Translation, enter in and let's celebrate together. I mean, what greater reward could there be than that? To live a life faithfully, to follow steadfastly, and at the end hear Jesus say and see him look at you and say, you, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let's party. Let's party. Let's enter into my, my father's happiness. Let's go. Honor and recognition. Our experience with Jesus Christ and the empower, empowerment of the Holy Spirit are just as real and just as transforming as they were for Peter. Do you understand this? Your experience with Jesus and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit are just as real and just as transforming. Uh, we can be just as changed as Peter was. So, that being the case, that being true then, we must ask, what adventure, what adventure awaits me then? What adventure awaits you through faith in Jesus Christ? Trust me, His calling goes beyond you just showing up at church and sitting in the front section. All right? His calling goes beyond you uh, being faithful and reading your Bible each morning and saying a prayer before bed. Right? God has an adventurous call on your life. Jesus has called you to follow Him. The Holy Spirit has empowered you to go and to pierce the hearts of the people in your life with the gospel. How might God be working to grow you and to see you become more? I wonder if Peter could look back at his life and be like, it's been quite a ride, Jesus. I can't believe this. I can't believe what you were able to accomplish in me. No, I mean, let alone all the other people looking at Peter like, yeah, you're right. I can't believe you were able to do this with Peter. That guy, wow, how'd you tame him? But I wonder if there was a moment where Peter looked back over the span of his life and his time with Jesus and after Jesus' ascension, he's like, didn't call that one. I didn't know that would happen. Never dreamed of that when I started throwing my nets as a fisherman. Never knew my life would end up there. But think about you. Think about where you've been, where you are now, and where it is that Jesus might be calling you, where He might be sending His Holy Spirit to empower you to go. How might God be working to grow you and to see you become more? 
So as we close today, let's all hear Peter's words afresh today, calling us to to do what those standing below him after the coming of the Holy Spirit uh, heard him say. Repent of your sins. Repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. And even to the Gentiles. Even there in Acts chapter 2, Peter is talking about you and me. Because we're not Jews, we're not part of the tribes of Israel. Yet he says, even the Gentiles. Even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. We've been called by the Lord our God. You've been called by the Lord our God. So, may we all faithfully respond like those hearing Peter on that day in Jerusalem as we turn from our sins and turn more and more fully toward Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. And may Peter be our example today, trusting that following Jesus Christ truly changes us and it will truly change our church for our good and for God's glory. Do you believe it? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word. Thanks for the stories of Peter. Wow, I'm starting to like this guy. What an amazing work you did in him. Is it possible you could do the same thing in us? That you could affect the same kind of change and transformation? The growth of character, of resolve, of insight. That you could work your word into our hearts in that same way so that we could be given opportunity to pierce the hearts of others with the gospel and see lives transformed, to see people saved and given new life. Wow. Well, I think if we're a student of the word, we find that the answer is yes, you can do that and you will do that. You are doing that. Ours is to be available. Ours is to desire to participate in that. So God, would you have your way today with us? Would you kick down the doors of resistance in us that keep us from thinking that uh, you've called us to a fairly low-key following of Jesus? You've called us to a fairly manageable or domesticated life with the Spirit? God, I pray that you would work so powerfully in each of us that people would stand back and be inclined to even mock us for being drunk at nine in the morning but that we're so filled up with what you're doing in us that we're encountering them in such a surprising way that really catches them off guard. God, would you empower us? Would you make us surprising because of the gospel? Lord, I pray for people here today that needed to hear that first part of what Peter was saying about repenting. God, a lot of us have been living for ourselves. We've been following our own desires. We've been resistant to your call in our life, that, that experience and that empowerment that you desire to pour into us. We've been keeping the lid on. We don't want that. Not on your terms. We want to live on our terms. And so, God, I pray that you would convict us of that, that you would pierce our hearts today. Lead us to a place of uh, honesty, of humility. God, lead us to a place of brokenness so that you can do the work that only you can do in repairing us and making us new. Lord, what, what was happening in the book of Acts? Yeah, it was in the beginning. It was the, the founding of the early church. But God, 
We stand in that legacy. We've inherited that. That's our lineage. And we know that you're faithful and that the work you did then, you're still doing now, and you can do more of that even here. And I pray that you would. I pray that we would have open hands. I pray that we would have uh, uh, open hearts, desiring, seeking that work that you desire to do in us. God, we know Peter was talking about the Gentiles. He was looking into the future, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to see us here today, I believe. Knowing that you've called us and you are faithful to finish the work that you've begun in us. So God, I pray that you do that individually. And I pray that you do that in our church family today. God, fill this place with people who desire to worship you and to see this world made new for the glory of Jesus Christ alone. Lord, we lay all this before you, all of our words, all of our thoughts, our whole beings, and all of our aspirations, all of our fears, all of our failings, all of our hopes. God, we lay those before you, and would you gather them up and make something beautiful and new out of that, we ask. We make this prayer in Jesus' name. Here we're going to worship for a minute, or we're just going to sit for a minute, actually, before we sing. It's important for us to take some time and just sit quietly and pray. Make yourself available to the Lord. What did you hear today? We read some extended passages of Scripture, and I trust that the Holy Spirit maybe caught your attention. Focus on those things. Pray those things. Listen to what Jesus might be saying to you through His Holy Spirit today. And make the most of this opportunity. Thank you.